welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. I have a medical update today, and then I wanted to follow that up with a little bit about emotional balance. So the medical update is that I got my MRI this morning uh, bright and early in the morning at 6.30 a.m. and it's super loud. I've had one before, um, but I never seem to get over how loud it is. Anyway, that's done and I'll know uh, the results back from the doctor in a day or two. She's going to call me. I had a neurologist appointment today at 10.30 And we talked about the uh, Verapamil, which was a migraine medication that I took that made me feel absolutely terrible. So I took that for a few weeks and then stopped because I thought I was going to fall out. I explained that to her. So um, now I'm going to be taking an injectable migraine medication. So she gave me two shot. Actually, she gave me one and I had to give myself the other um, shot. And it wasn't so bad. Um, I've never had to do that before. So I'll know. She said like within four weeks, I should start feeling a little better. And at six weeks, we'll know whether it's working or not. If it's not working by six weeks, then it's not going to work. I have a follow-up appointment in six weeks to for that. And then also I was talking to her about my uh, cognitive impairment that's been, seems like getting, well, it's definitely gotten worse over the past few months. And it's, I've explained it before, I think, but I'll just recap. So things like, um, things that people do, you know, here and there, like as we get older, we do silly things like, oh, I put the butter in the cabinet instead of in the refrigerator or something like that. Um, that kind of silly stuff where you're absent minded Um, Mine is just exponentially worse than anything I've experienced before, where it's, it'll happen multiple times in one hour, where I'm, you know, I did a lot of things when I was cooking with my niece that I just couldn't explain, like, um, I was and nothing else was happening. They were just, my boyfriend and her were talking while we were baking and I was putting some things away. And I was like, I reached for the baking soda and put the measuring cup on top of that container as a lid. Like it didn't make any sense. And then um, things like leaving the hose on, leaving the bathroom sink on, not putting things away that is very out of my, uh, out of the norm for me. Um, it, so my boyfriend is always behind me, um, finding things that I've just randomly forgotten that I was doing. And, and 
Then there's the instance where, um, and this has been happening since I had my stroke, where I'm talking and then in the middle of what I'm saying, I forget what I'm saying, which is something that has happened, you know, before my stroke. Everybody has that. But this is different. It feels different. And it's not like I can go back and remember what I was saying. It's just gone. It's it's just erased from my head. And it's um, it feels almost humiliating. You know, like I'm stuck standing there with my pants down. You know, like it's that abrupt and strange. And then the other day I was laying in bed, I guess it's been like a week or so now, that I was laying in bed and I was thinking about something and then all of a sudden it was gone. It was kind of like the same experience as when I'm talking and all of a sudden I can't remember what I'm saying. Um, It's kind of like that, only I was just thinking of something. I I was sitting there thinking about something for like a minute or so. And then all of a sudden it was just gone. I had no idea what I was talking about or what I was thinking about. And then, um, and it happened like four times while I was laying there that morning. So, um, I explained all of this stuff to the neurologist and, um, and that's in addition to my vision issues like not being able to look at things that are moving and and stuff like that so she uh ordered a ambulatory ambulatory there it is ambulatory eeg which i'm gonna get on friday and then i'm gonna get a neurological psych psychiatric evaluation and that I have to schedule but she said it's probably not going to be for a couple months because it's takes a while to be able to get in there Um, and so I'm going to do that and then uh, I since I told her about the verapamil migraine medication not working um, I've that's two migraine medications that I've tried so now we're um, trying and oh, I already said this an injectable one. That's weird. Okay, I already said that, but <laughs> um, so yeah, so I gave that to myself and I do it every month. Sorry, I already mentioned that. And uh, I think that's it. So I go back in six weeks and I'm gonna, I'm stopping doing vision therapy for a while until we get all these tests done because I have not really made uh, any note. Well, I mean, they haven't really even had me into the office for the vision therapy. It's just, it's going so slow. It's, it's to the point where I'm like, why am I even doing this? I'm not doing anything. And it's not paid for by insurance. And I think that's a sign that insurance isn't quite sold that vision therapy works and the neurologist I had a conversation with her about vision uh, about vision therapy and she said that over the past year 
they've had an influx of people going to the optometrist and being diagnosed with, uh, with a virgins, I can't remember what it's called, like a convergence issue. And, um, and that they've been prescribed vision therapy. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Now, I have two diagnoses. One is the vergence issue, and the other one is tracking. The tracking one is what's most no- noticeable to me, but uh, I also have the fact that I can't look at the uh like any digital device, whether it's moving or not, I just can't even look at it. So who knows what that, nobody's told me what that is. (laughs) Um, So that's what's going on. Um, So I'll provide another update on, uh, I guess, Friday after I get the EEG done. I'm sure I won't have the results, uh, but the doctor's going to call me in a couple days about the MRI. So I'll have some more updates. So um, that is what's happening medically. And so I wanted to talk about maintaining emotional balance amongst all of this stuff going on. Um, I've certainly had enough reason to be emotionally imbalanced. So I wanted to talk about some challenges that I have faced and how I can relate that experience with my sobriety experiences. And, um, and then at the end of the episode, I have some tips for maintaining emotional balance. So in our sobriety program, we um, have a step where we um, evaluate like our relationships, our role in um, any damaged relationships and consider making amends to those people. So there are lots of different, you know, levels of relationships, lots of different ways that we can damage relationships and lots of ways that we can You know, I talked about yesterday adding value to the world. There's lots of ways that we can take away um, from the world. And so this is an effort to start making that right. And then that practice, we move on into the later steps where we're evaluating our behavior on a daily basis to ensure that we don't have to make amends to people in the future, you know, act in a way today so that we don't have to make amends in the future. So this involves, of course, being courteous and kind. And, um, and that can be hard, especially when other people are not being courteous and kind to us. So I have uh, some examples of that. Um, But first of all, I just wanted to explain a little bit the two types of amends that we have in the sobriety program. So there's making direct amends, and that means that we approach a person 
um, in particular that we feel as though we may have harmed when we were drinking and we talk to them about it and that can look all different uh, ways to uh, how somebody may carry that out. And then there's making indirect amends and this can be done in lots of different situations like um, there are people that may have stole you know, uh, from stole repeatedly during their active alcoholism or, um, I don't know. That's, that's probably a good example. There's also people who you can't make an amends to because they've passed away since, uh, you have gotten sober. So, um, one an example I have of this of somebody that I cannot make amends to is a man that I was driving through the Home Depot parking lot and this older man was walking out of the store to his car and he was in my blind spot. I didn't see him. Um this is how I remember it, at least. I didn't see him um, until it was too late. and Meaning, no, I did not hit him. <laughs> until it was too late where I had offended him by continuing to proceed forward. And he had to kind of stop and wait for me to go by and then uh, walk behind my car instead of in front of it. In front of it. Well... What happened was my window was down, and so he was really nasty to me um, and said something mean to me in the window, and my reaction was really terrible. I, I just started yelling at him. <clears throat> I, it's, it's so unlike me, but depending on the day, you know, it... It was probably hot outside. I was probably already agitated or stressed or something like that. And he just, on any other day, I would not raise my voice at a stranger because you never know when somebody's got a freaking gun in their pocket or something. I don't do that. But on that day, he just did that on the at the wrong time on the wrong day. And so I snapped back at him. And, um, and it did not feel good. It didn't feel good at all. And I will never be able to make amends to that guy. But um, regardless of how he treated me, um, I have control over how I respond to that. And I chose the wrong response that day. But there are ways that I can make amends indirectly to him. And one way that I do that is that I'm very, very kind in parking lots now. Like I slow down even more. I pay more attention. Um, I, I, you know... I help people, like I'll move their carts for them. So I try to help people in the parking lot instead of taking away. You know what I mean? 
Um, so that's an example of indirect amends. So you can imagine like when we're that was just because it was a hot day and I was I had been sober like this was not very long ago this was I was driving so it was probably a couple years ago I'm thinking so um that was just a hot day so imagine back when I was drinking um, running across somebody saying the wrong thing to me when I was drunk, when I was hungover, or when I was going through withdrawal. Imagine how unkind I could have been. And I remember, you know, I don't remember things very clearly, but I wasn't a blackout drinker for the most part. So I remember having some quarrels just to put it nicely with some other people when I was drinking and it was usually a female that um that was like saying something not very nice to one of my friends um you know I, I had a couple situations like that and um so I would I would just snap and um, when I would think back on it the next day, I feel, you know, I would, I would think, yeah, well, she deserved it for not being nice, but that didn't make me feel good. Like, I felt terrible. I felt icky that I behaved that way. And I also couldn't help but think of, what could have happened by behaving that way? Um, so uh, the other day, you know, with all of this medical stuff that's happening, I have to make a lot of phone calls. I have to call the insurance company, the doctor's offices. I'm talking to some people at work who have been super, super helpful to me. And, um, so there's a lot of different characters that I have to deal with. There's people who are just doing their job and there's people that are good at it. There's a people that are good at delivering bad news and there's people who aren't good at delivering bad news. And, um, regardless, these people have a job. They just need to get paid so that they can live, you know, so that they can pay their mortgage, they can buy their food, they can take care of their family. Um, and there are times when I just get so freaking frustrated. And and the, a great example was the MRI that got denied by insurance because the insurance company claimed that my MRI was not medically necessary. Well, they're an insurance company. <laughs> Why do they think that they can say that it's not medically necessary? Well, because with the information they had in front of them, it did not check all of the boxes in order for them to approve it. You know, they're just pushing paper and doing their jobs. But that still doesn't leave me getting my MRI done in a uh, 
a reasonable amount of time. So, um, what, what I have found is during all of that, I made it a point to be very, very nice to the people on the phone. And, um, to the point where I was understanding them to be understood. So I was putting myself in their shoes where they're talking to a stranger who has had a stroke and they're looking at a screen that tells them to tell me news that I do not want to hear, you know? And when I was able to put myself in her shoes while I'm hearing the bad news, I was able to talk to her like a human being. You know, I was able to identify with her and we even got to this point where we were both like on the same team. You know, we were both trying to figure out how we can get this situation resolved. Had I come out of the gate snapping at her for telling me the news that I didn't want to hear, she's not going to help me. She could give a shit whether I get my MRI or not. And instead, I, I chose this other approach and I ended up getting the lady's name and her direct line. And she said, you can always ask for me from now on. If you ever need to call the insurance company, you just ask for me and they will find me. If I'm on a phone with another patient, then um, you can just stay on hold and they'll transfer you to me when I'm available. And that's that was my reward for being friendly at a time when I could very well have exploded, you know, um, and it wasn't just the insurance company. I had the same thing happen at the doctor's office. So I had called the doctor's office cause they have to talk to the insurance company and they, uh, I, I did the same thing pretty much to summarize and there were two different people that I talked to at the doctor's office. The second one I talked to, actually, I could tell she was having a bad day. And I, because of that, because I could tell that she was having a bad day, I slowed down my talking and... I was, I started calling her ma'am and thank you. And I really just, I tried harder to be nice. I tried harder to make her day better and realize again, I was dealing with bullshit during all of, during all of that. But because of that, the same thing happened. She actually ended the conversation with a smile on her face. Like we were able to laugh together. And um, it's just so important. 
And it was so obvious to me on that day that I was dealing with that problem that I think they say you get more bees with honey. I think that's how the saying goes. Um, I practiced it and it worked for me that day. There's a day that it did not work for me, <laughs> and that day would be um, I kept getting in the mail a prescription that I had ordered for my dog, Autumn. So my dog, Autumn, has aller like skin allergies, and it's really bad. Like, she's got to take this medication. If she skips a couple days, she'll, like, start getting these bloody... Uh, bloody rash it's terrible um so I had ordered it one month to be delivered and the reason why is because I can't drive so I'm like oh I'll just have them deliver it to the house um through PetSmart or Banfield and so I got it so I ordered it for next day and I paid extra money to have it delivered next day and then it showed up seven days later and they still charged me for the next day extra fee that I, that I paid. So I'm like, so I call them and I'm like, by then I had already gotten the prescription from the actual brick and mortar uh, building. And so I was agitated that they sent it to me seven days later and still charged me. So I called them and I'm like, I need a refund on this because X, Y, Z. And so I got a refund. And then for the next three months, I just kept receiving this medication, two, two pill bottles per month, one, one of the months. So I currently have four bottles of this medication downstairs and they were charging me that next day 24-hour delivery fee like it was crazy I did not order it to be on reoccurring order I ordered it once and started just like getting it in the mail so $400 later I called the uh the line of the people, I think it's called Vet Source or something, but it's a company that does the delivery of the medications for Banfield. And so I called them, and this kid was the um, customer service rep. And I said what was happening, and he was being really short with me, and he kept talking over me. Like when I was trying to explain what was going on, he was talking over me and like putting me on hold. And he was like, let me talk to my supervisor. And then he comes back and says the exact same thing to me. We can't um, re reimburse you for medication or something like that. And I'm like, I was being really nice. And I said, well, I, I had the medication reimbursed last month. Like, I've already done this before. And he's like, and he, he just, it was like he didn't even hear me talking. He just repeated the same answer with no compassion, no empathy. He repeated the same answer as if 
he, I didn't even say anything. And so I said, I'd like to talk to your supervisor. And so he's like, let me put you on hold again. So he puts me on hold again for effing ever for like 10 minutes. It could have been 15 minutes. It was a long time. And so I, but I sat there and my blood was just boiling the whole time I'm sitting there. So he gets back and he repeats the same answer. I am not shitting you. He repeated the same answer that he did 15 minutes before then. So I was like freaking livid. And he said, my supervisor will call you within the next 48 hours. And I was like, oh, and he told me I was wrong about um, the fact that my first delivery was seven days later. And all, it was it was just awful. It was infuriating. And um, and so I changed from being kind to killing him with kindness. And these are two different things. And I, I wanted to mention that because this is the way I used to do things. I used to do this kill him with kindness thing, which means that I am a intolerable bitch, but I act really, really nice and sarcastic. And the reason why I um, started relying on this approach to things was because it got me what I needed or what I wanted during that phase of my life. And I, I, I can't really give you an examples right now. Um, it may or may not have had to do with my, um, my marriage, but, uh, also people that I worked with in life, and, you know, there were certain people that um, if they wouldn't listen to me, then I would use this approach in order to get what I needed to ha- needed to happen to happen. So um, anyway, that's how I started. I started resorting with this uh, pet medication for my dog. Uh, I started resorting to the kill him with kindness angle and that kid hated me and I even had to call him back again and he answered again and oh, it was just terrible. It was terrible. Um, well, it turns out I got another bottle of the same medication the following month again, even though he said that he removed me from, uh, from receiving that medication anymore so I received it again. So I just called my local Banfield and they fixed everything. I don't know why that kid never just told me to call my local Banfield. But anyway, good example. Um, so what I know is that when I get in these situations, it's so hard to freaking stay calm. But what I'm trying to do is fast forward to things the tape and know that when it's all said and done, I need to be at peace with myself, number one. And two, I need to not set myself up to have to do 
amends in the future. Do I feel bad about being kind of a sarcastic bitch to that guy uh, about the dog medication? Not really. Uh, and the reason why is because he was a little shit to me. Um, but that's not an excuse because when I say that out loud on this podcast episode, it makes me feel icky and I don't want to feel icky. It's that those feelings, those small reactions to experiences that we have that make us feel icky, that can lead me to a drink. It may seem like such a minor thing, but when those minor things start building up, especially during a time when I'm going through a major um, event in my life, like recovery, it's absolutely dangerous for me to keep piling on these minor um, icky feelings. So I, I have a choice today to choose kindness and, um, and choose happiness. Like I've talked about, talked about in previous episodes, choose sobriety, um, then, then to uh, choose to go down the road that I know is going to make me feel icky, but I'm doing it because I want instant gratification, um, making that other, you know, putting that other person in their place that I don't deserve to be treated that way. And, um, that's a whole nother episode. I think that there's absolutely, um, a time when we need to stand up for ourselves and, and not, um, let somebody treat us in a nasty way, but there's a, you know, there's a fine line there. So, I have a choice to pause and to be kind to others regardless of them and how they choose to treat me. And I need to invite that willingness every day and practice it consistently. It's not easy. Um, something that we say in our sobriety program is that it's not easy, but it is simple. And I never thought like all through my life, um, including the years of active alcoholism, I never thought that I was an unkind person. I always thought that I was um, nice to people and thoughtful. Um, but once I got out of my self-centered mentality, I was able to better consider how I may be perceived by others and how what I say might be hurtful or sarcastic or uncaring. And I don't ever want to feel that way again where I wake up the next day and I'm thinking, yeah, they deserved that but yet feeling like, ugh, I wish that never happened. I wish I never would have, you know, why didn't I just walk away? I could have done this, you know, and you start like 
thinking, well, maybe it didn't happen, have to happen that way. And, you know, but because I was drinking, I couldn't even think reasonably enough to, to pause and think about how there are alternatives to exploding at somebody. Um, and, and honestly, how thoughtful could I have been when I was drunk? You know, I couldn't even, I couldn't think through my own actions, much less think through how I was going to engage in a positive way with, uh, (laughs) with other people. So, uh, and killing them with kindness is, is not the answer. That's a manipulation strategy and not a reflection of emotional balance. So I have uh, a few ways that we can practice emotional balance. This is what I do. um, And that's what this is all about. This uh, podcast is just sharing my experience, strength and hope. And um, so here we are. Number one, recognize your primary emotion. So remember I talked about the color wheel, the emotional color wheel, and how you have the primary emotions of happiness, sadness, fear, anger. Recognizing what the primary emotion is that led to the secondary emotion and to your reaction or the reaction that you're that hopefully at some point you're holding back before you actually explode. So having that self-awareness to the extent that you can pause and think, all right, what is this primary emotion? I know the secondary emotion emotion is that I'm freaking pissed off and I'm about to lose my shit on this person. But what is the primary emotion? Am I fearful of something? You know, um, did somebody hurt my feelings? Is somebody? Yeah. So that kind of stuff. Um, And what I think is important to mention here is that I think sometimes it's difficult to pause because pausing causes silence and silence can be uncomfortable. But somebody told me once that silence can be powerful. So consider that when you're in a situation and you think you might need to pause, rather than relating that pause with uncomfortableness, think about the power that might be communicated through the silence of your pause. So number two, satisfy your basic needs. So just like the halt episode that I had recently. Um, Make sure that, you know, were you easily angered because you were hungry? Were you hangry? Were you thirsty? You know, were you tired? 
Were you lonely? Um, so some of those basic needs could just be the, um, you know, the, the spark behind your emotional reactions. Sometimes it's not just a primary emotion like fear, sadness, you know, anger. It's because you're not taking care of yourself. So look at those different halt things and, and see hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Uh, number three, when everything sucks, find something to be grateful for. And I, I do this. I really do do this. Um, I'm not all talk. And I have sometimes sat, so I do this before bed, my gratefuls, and I had been texting my gratefuls to um, some of my sobriety friends, but I don't really text my gratefuls anymore at night because of my eyes. So, but I still do the gratefuls. I still think about the gratefuls and what I'm grateful for. And, um, and there are times when I just feel like, you know, screw this. Like everything sucks. I can't think of anything that I'm grateful for right now. Like there are some times that I feel that way, but I make myself do it. And sometimes it's really, it's, it's almost ridiculous what I'm, what I'm coming up with. You know, I'm grateful that, you know, I'm grateful for my dogs. I'm grateful that I have air conditioning, you know, these basic things. Well, sometimes when I'm feeling that, like everything's so crappy, those basic things are not ridiculous. You know, being grateful that you have air conditioning, being grateful that you have the love of a pet. Um, these are important things to be grateful for. So it might seem ridiculous at the time because it's not a big, long, drawn out grateful, but it's still significant and it's important to recognize especially on days that you feel poopy. And um, I, I put a note here, sometimes finding something grateful for is a painful exercise, like petting a dog backwards. <laughs> but it's still, uh, it's still important. And um, I don't, I, I would say it still makes the dog feel good if you pet him backwards. I don't know if it does. I might have to research that. If it, if it, like when you take your hair out of a ponytail and you push the hair in a different direction, sometimes it hurts. Like my sister um, can't deal with that. <laughs> it hurts too bad. Um, anyway, I'm going on a tangent, but <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay, number four. Uh burn excess energy. This is what I find to be the absolute most satisfactory way of maintaining emotional balance. When I am irritated, agitated, angry, fearful, any negative emotion, 
um, I do push-ups. And sometimes I'll rotate between push-ups and planks. It depends how pissed off I am. I will just get down and start doing push-ups and doing a plank. And it, because I truly believe, and I tell my daughter this all the time, um, because she has so much energy, um, that when we have this buildup that creates these negative emotions, sometimes you just have to burn it off. You know, you just have to burn it off and it helps me. It truly does. So, so that's what I've got for you today on my medical update and maintaining emotional balance. So thanks for joining. Thanks for sticking with me as I continue to travel this long journey of recovery. I will talk to you tomorrow.